As democracy unfolds, albeit messily, before our eyes this week, most of America's journalists are trying to cover it as best we can and with as much objectivity as possible. Quote, we are not at war, we are at work. That mantra from Washington Post legend Marty Barron. 17, Pol 17 Pulitzer Prizes under his belt, including 10 at the Washington Post, where he was the executive editor for nearly a decade. Before that, he was editor of the Boston Globe, notably during its landmark investigation into the Catholic Church, concealing the fact that priests were sexually abusing children. That coverage was later portrayed in the Oscar-winning movie Spotlight. And now Marty Barron has a new memoir titled Collision of Power, Trump, Bezos, and the Washington Post. It is out now, and he is here to talk about it. Thanks so much for being here, Marty. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having so me. So I want to start with uh, Washington Post contributing columnist Jamal Khashoggi because this week marks five years since he was brutally murdered at the direction of Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, and according to U.S. intelligence. In your book, you write that the Trump administration thought the Washington Post was, quote, irrationally obsessed with his murder. And you write that Trump would come to acknowledge during M MBS, doing MBS a big favor. I saved his ass, Trump told Bob Woodward for his 2020 book, Rage. I was able to get Congress to leave him alone. Very uh, bizarre thing to brag about. But I have to say, Trump is one of the reasons, but he's not the only reason that MBS has gotten away with murder in front of our, all of our eyes, I think. No, I mean, I think that that's right. I mean, I look, there, uh, obviously, people want to, a lot of people want to protect Saudi Arabia. It's a source of a tremendous amount of oil. Uh, the U.S. has alliances with, uh, with Saudi Arabia as well. Uh, but, um, you know, he's been protected by Congress. Uh, he's been protected by uh, Trump. He's been protected by Jared Kushner, who uh, now is managing $2 billion in, uh, in assets from Saudi Arabia. What a coincidence. Yeah, it is a strange coincidence, isn't it? Uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, really something. I mean, it's kind of like an incredible payoff that's right out in the open. Let's turn to Jeff Bezos, um, who owns The Washington Post. As we all remember, Trump incessantly bashed Bezos and his ownership of The Washington Post. You insist Bezos never weighed in on editorial decisions. But you also write in the book, um, Donald Trump had to be a less pleasurable subject for Bezos, though he was obviously giving stories about him a, a, a close read. In one passage, Bezos seemed to suggest that The Post should make an endorsement in the 2016 race you were considering not endorsing at all. That does seem to be counting, the count is weighing in a little bit, no? Well, look, I mean, he's the owner. He had some role in the editorial pages, which I was not involved in the editorial pages. I was overseeing our news cover. Okay, so he didn't weigh in on the news. So, yeah, I mean, the editorial page editor, Fred Hyatt, the late Fred Hyatt, uh, brought up when and if we make an endorsement. But Jeff said, uh, well, what do you mean, when and if? Uh, he felt that the paper should make an endorsement. And uh, clearly, uh, the, the Post had run a lot of critical, critical editorials about, uh, about Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, that was the natural endorsement to make. Uh, and that's what they ultimately did. And Trump really declared war on Bezos, talking about how Amazon shouldn't get deals when it came to postage because of the Washington Post coverage of Trump. I mean, I've never seen you describe it. Uh, well, tell us how you describe it. Well, I mean, look, uh, Trump was arguing that it was getting too much of a deal, that it was getting a deal. But there was really no evidence that it was getting any right. deal whatsoever. And Trump argued that their postal rates should be increased, should be doubled. Then he said tripled. Then he said quadrupled. Right. I mean, 
might imagine that he was making these numbers up, right? So, and then he intervened in a cloud computing contract, uh, a $10 billion cloud computing co contract. It looked like Amazon was the lead bidder for that and Trump intervened and then it, it uh, did not go to Amazon. So I wanna bring up something that I disagree with you on, if that's okay. Um, so Felicia Sanmez, uh, a former Post reporter who was highly critical of the Post's paper, uh, the leadership. Um, and you're critical of uh, how often she tweeted, and I don't want to get into that and your social media policies, because I certainly understand where you're coming from. But there's one specific instance that I think you're wrong. Just over an hour after TMZ reported that Los Angeles Lakers legend Kobe Bryant died, she tweeted a link to a Daily Beast story titled, quote, Kobe Bryant's disturbing rape case, the DNA evidence, the accuser story, and the half confession. And you objected to that. Uh, she was put on administrative leave while the Post investigated if she had violated the company's social media policy. In your book, you describe being livid over her tweet. First of all, I can't think of anything more journalistic in the sense that we are the ones that are supposed to bring up the most uncomfortable truths to the public than that tweet. And second of all, I bet there were millions of rape survivors and sexual assault survivors that saw her tweet and thought, thank God somebody out there is speaking for me. Sure. Look, I mean, uh, we when we have done obituaries on uh, controversial people, we always bring up their moments of dishonor. We discuss that. We report on that. But we also assign certain people to do those kinds of stories. We don't expect anybody in the newsroom to decide to throw out commentary as they wish, whenever they wish, in whatever manner they wish. And so, of course, we were going to deal with that, those rape allegations in the obituary that we were writing. Uh, she decided to put out a tweet less than an hour after it had been confirmed by uh, the Associated Press. The death of Kobe Bryant had been confirmed by the Associated Press. She wasn't involved in the story. We didn't ask her to be involved in the story. And, the, and we took great care, and we take great care in our coverage of sensitive issues to write those stories in a sensitive way uh, and to decide when we're going to publish it. We can't have any one of a thousand people on our staff decide, taking, on, on, taking responsibility themselves to say how we should cover a particular story. We assign particular reporters to do it. They have editors, and they're the ones who make those judgments. Right, but unless you're just going to ban everybody on your staff from tweeting and social media posts completely, I, don't, I still just don't understand what she did wrong. I mean, look, I'm from Philadelphia, okay? Kobe Bryant went to Lower Marion High School. His dad coached at my high school, girls' varsity basketball. I want to believe the myth about Kobe, Kobe Bryant, too. But there is this ugly incident in 2003. I don't want to think about it, and I certainly didn't want to think about it after he died. But what Felicia did is journalism. I, uh, well, I mean, look, we as uh, editors decide who's going to cover a story, how we're going to cover a story. You do that here. But every, she was just tweeting. It was just a tweet. It wasn't just a tweet, okay? It was a tweet at a particular moment in a particular way that created an enormous reaction where people focused on us at the Washington Post as opposed to focusing on our coverage of Kobe Bryant. Of course we were going to cover that, and we did. And we had covered those rape allegations aggressively beforehand. Yeah, but, but why, why did the Post and why did you respond so strongly to it, do you think? because we didn't ask her to get involved in that story. We don't feel she should have been involved in that story. The people who should have been involved in that story were the people we assigned to be involved in that story, and it distracted attention from the coverage that we were undertaking. I guess the only other thing I want to ask about this is, a 2018 CDC study shows that 81% of women and 43% of men in the U.S. reported experienced some form of sexual harassment and or assault in their lifetime. 
you yourself, when you were at the Boston Globe, did so much for victims of sexual assault and uh, the victims of the Catholic Church. And I just wonder if maybe you have a blind spot on this. Well, I don't think I have a blind spot on this, and I'm glad that you pointed that out. I mean, look, we did enormous work at the, at the, at the Boston Globe uh, to highlight sexual abuse by priests and yeah, the cover of that sexual abuse. 100%. Exactly. But I just brought we, it up. But the fact is, okay, Jake, but we took great care with how we did those stories. Right. We didn't have everybody tweeting whatever they wanted. We didn't have people tweeting about celibacy or anything like that. Yeah. We picked the reporters to work on that. We selected the headlines. We were very careful with the headlines. We were very careful with how those stories were written. And that's what is, uh, a news organization is supposed to do. Let's decide how we are going to cover these sensitive issues. That's what we wanted to do in the case of Kobe Bryant. Let's, uh, uh, let's assign the right reporters to work on it. Let's have editors involved in those, in those discussions and in the, and in the formation of that, that coverage. And those are the people who should focus on it, not just anybody on the staff. Look. It's okay that I agree with you on 95% of the book and that we disagree on a tweet. Marty Barron, the book is Collision of Power. Congratulations. It's uh, great to have you here. Thank you.